Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. And it is Monday. I hope you had a great weekend and that maybe you got some rest. And if not, maybe you're headed towards your weekend. So I'm hoping that you are getting what you need. Thank you for taking time out of your day to be with me. And we are really continuing some of what we did last week. And that was that issue about change and the different types of change and how difficult change can be, even if it's positive. But the reason I like to really take time on this particular concept and issue is that change is always inevitable. You can always depend on change. Change will always be occurring. The only time change is going to stop is when we go to heaven. And so we are always in a state of flux. Something's always changing in our world, and we are needing to learn to be flexible, to adjust to it. You know, the flexible, they don't break, right? And it's tough to be flexible because sometimes being flexible means we have to reevaluate things that we might have felt very strong on, very committed to, something that we didn't think we would ever change our minds about or our behaviors or our lifestyle. So we ended on Friday with that beautiful serenity prayer that really talks about acceptance because the last part of the process of going through any type of change is acceptance. And we look at change really through the grief and loss process. And that's because, like I said to you, I made up this saying, every loss has a gain. Every gain has a loss. And so even if it's a good change, there can be some melancholy with it. There can be some grief with it. There can be some sadness. Because this wonderful thing of maybe launching your son and daughter into a new marriage is wonderful, but it's also kind of sad. It's the end of an era. It's the end of a particular time for that child and for your family. And so as good as it is, it also may be sad, maybe grievous. So I liked that last part of the, the serenity prayer. It says, you know, courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. And this part I love, living one day at a time, accepting hardships, as the pathway to peace, taking as he did the world as it is and not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will and that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. And that's the famous Reinhold Niebuhr, wrote it in 1926 and how apropos it is. So let's look at a couple of things. What might be reasons that you don't want to grieve? Or what are some blocks that may occur when it comes to that process? See if you find yourself in any of these. Well, maybe the person doesn't recognize the change has taken place. 
And that might be something like an elderly parent who we need to talk to them about not driving anymore. And there are sometimes the person that, that is in that process of change really isn't aware of the changes that are occurring. And so they're not able to grieve it if they're in denial of it or if they're unaware of it. It may also be that the person may not accept that the loss has occurred. It's, it's kind of like if you've ever talked to somebody and they say that, you know, well, their, their boyfriend, their girlfriend, you know, broke up with them, but they know they're not really broken up. It's really not over. We just are in a bad place in our relationship. So they're not grieving the loss of that relationship because they're not truly accepting the fact that it actually happened. How about this? The individual may not expect to mourn losses unless they're deaf. So they may think that the only thing you really grieve is if someone has passed away. And they don't recognize that the grief and loss process is for anything that's a loss, whether it's a major loss or a minor loss. And I'll give you an example of the grief and loss process. It's super, super short version, a super, super long version. So let's say, let's look at uh, the Bush family. And, you know, when his wife died, how could he get over the loss of someone he'd been with for almost his entire life? Think of the great loves, and they lose that person. That grief and loss process may endure to the end of their life. If you've lost a child, you may grieve that initial loss and move forward and start to create a life with that empty place. But it doesn't mean that at every single event, every Christmas, every, you know, the graduation of your other children, when your kids learn to drive, when your other kids get married, all those different times, you're going to recognize again that person is not with you. So those losses are quite complicated. And many times they take a tremendous amount of time to really get through that loss and get to the other side. So a minor loss, and you might find this um, amusing, if you're like me, you don't like to miss the streetlights. So I'm driving forward and I'm saying, it's blinking, you know, the hand is blinking or the numbers are going 10, 9, 8, 7. And I'm thinking, we can all make the light. We can make the light. And the person in front of me decides that they're going to stop before it even turns yellow. They don't want to risk it. So I understand that. I accept that. Everybody drives differently, and I'm glad that we have safe drivers in that way, I, I guess, right? But I'm the one that's like, we could have made it through the light, so for me, that's a loss. So immediately I'm in shock. No. Then I'm in denial. I can't believe you did that. There's no way that we missed that. You could have. And then I go into bargaining. You could have made it. We could have all made it through the light. We should have done this. We could have done that. If you would have done this, we would have made it. Then I get mad. I'm like, dang it. Now I'm going to be later to wherever I'm going. What, it's three minutes, right? Then I'm kind of like, after I'm done being mad, I'm like, ah, oh, bummer kind of sad. And then I accept it. And by the time I accept it, the light has changed. So you may not be aware of going through all of that. But that's how that process works in the short form and the long form. 
Because imagine the person that doesn't get over the fact. They stay in anger because you didn't go through the light. And they start tailgating you, flipping you off, these types of things. Simply because they couldn't get over the fact that you stopped earlier than they would have wanted you to stop. So the grief and loss process is very profound. And when we think that these things are too minor to grieve over, we might end up missing some really important healing and freedom that helps us to embrace the next moment that much more. So it also may be that the loss comes from maybe a socially stigmatized event. Maybe you have a friend, a spouse, a child that committed suicide, a racial incident, an abortion. Maybe it's a drug or alcohol problem. So many times the person's sense of shame about the loss causes that person to not go through it. They avoid drawing attention to it, and thus they avoid the pain altogether. Because it's too shameful to say to somebody, I had an abortion and I don't know how to get over it. Or I have a really bad drug problem and I haven't told anybody. And I ended up losing my license because of it. And these are great losses. And they need to be processed. And we need to be the type of people that can come alongside someone, just like our Savior does. Jesus, such a compassionate witness to our life. He comes alongside. He walks with us. He doesn't control us. He sees all that happens to us, and he cares deeply about us. So maybe significant others in a person's life may communicate discomfort, disapproval, at the expression of pain. So maybe you're willing to express some grief, but the people that you are around, your friends, your family, whoever that may be, are too uncomfortable to do that. They want to do the stoic version. They don't want to talk about it. They want to ignore it. They want to pretend like it never happened. So you're then left with the decision, do I find someone that will help me with this grief? Or do I just follow suit and stuff it and ignore it and hope it goes away? So many times we don't want to address grief because we might think that we're going to upset people or add to the grief of others. So let's say that you find out that your friend's son uh, committed suicide or has a drug problem. So sometimes people don't want to show grief about that because they don't want to make it worse. They don't want to burden the other person when actually that's part of the healing process. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, in, in different parts of the Old Testament, when the priest called for the wailing women to come. And the reasoning behind that was the wailing women were professional criers. They showed up to start crying and make it comfortable for everybody else to cry and give everyone else that ability to release that. Because many times when we see someone cry, it causes us to be able to access our own tears. The same thing that happens at funerals. People go to the funeral, they think, oh, I'm not going to cry, I don't want to cry. As soon as people around them start crying, everybody starts crying. You've probably seen this in touching movies. Everybody's crying. When we went to see the movie, I can only imagine, the whole entire movie theater was bawling. It was one group cry. 
was phenomenal. And so many times we want to resist that because we're afraid we'll increase pain when actually what we do is we give people permission to feel the pain. Now this is another big one. And this is one of the more painful ones. Many times we hang on to our grief because it's really the only thing we have left of whatever that loss is. And so if we hang on to it, we keep the person with us. We keep the event. We keep whatever it is. There's a piece of that loss that stays with us. Because we're afraid that if we actually resolve it and move on, that we won't have any feelings anymore about whoever that person was, whatever that event was, whatever that is. And so many times people say, the only thing I have left of the person is my sadness. And I think that makes a lot of sense. But what people find is that when they are able to release their sadness about that loss, they have so much more of that person inside of them than they realized. Good things, wonderful memories, inspiration, motivation. And they're able to love better because unresolved grief takes a lot of energy to maintain and to contain. And it makes it very difficult to be vulnerable to love again. And I can say with great confidence, people that have passed away, the last thing they want is for the people that loved them to have a life that is less than or a life that is stalled out because of their death. They don't want their death to mean that your life stops. Whatever the way they died was, they don't want their death to mean that to you in your life, that your life is worse because of their death. So you want to really think about the way we honor people that have passed away is we live better. That's how we honor them. So when you think about being a good friend to people that are going through a significant change, whatever that change is, and it could be a really positive one, like we've talked about people that won the lottery, a lot of times they lose all their friends and family. How about people that um, get a really big promotion or people that uh, become publicly recognized? Like let's say they ran for a political office and they actually attained it. Well, many times their friends struggle a lot with that. Many times we also see the inverse of that. Someone's going through a terrible, terrible time, great deal of loss. And instead of their friends coming alongside, supporting, encouraging, lamenting with them, they start to say things like, well, what did you do to make this happen? Well, maybe you deserved it. Maybe you have secret sin. There's got to be a reason it happened. Instead of recognizing that even if there is, is that helpful? I mean, if someone's got a broken leg, does it help to talk to them about how they broke their leg or does it help to fix their leg? Right? And we see this in the book of Job. And this is chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. And it says, three of Job's friends heard of all his trouble. And they came, and when they first caught sight of him, they couldn't believe what they saw. They hardly recognized him. They cried out in lament. They ripped their robes. They dumped dirt on their heads as a sign of grief. And they sat with him on the ground. 
Seven days and seven nights they sat without saying a word because they could see how rotten he felt, how deeply he was suffering. And if you know the book of Job, he lost everything. I mean, it was a cataclysmic event. Every single thing was lost but his life. And so what's sad is we see that his friends could only do it for seven days. See, when humans don't understand, they generally become judgmental and controlling and problem-solving. And if they don't have answers, if they can't fix it, they start filling in the blanks themselves. They start creating reasons for things they don't understand. And they problem-solve because they feel helpless. They don't like how the pain is affecting the person and they want it to stop. It starts affecting them too much. So many times you'll see others, other people's defense mechanisms come into play over your pain. It takes a very strong, a deep person, a high-functioning person, to really be able to handle someone else's pain, to come alongside them and not complicate it for them. See, the trial in another person's life is not only teaching, molding, and shaping them, but it's also showing me, it's showing us the other side of suffering. And this is God's side. See, he hears our cries and he stays with us. He even works with our own free will. And he doesn't attempt to control us. He doesn't leave us in the midst of our pain. He doesn't steal our pain from us. He doesn't minimize it, talk us out of it. And he allows the mystery of suffering to do its work. He doesn't get mad at us, judge us, doesn't abandon us, tell us that, you know, you could get better if you would only try. Are you not even working at getting over this? He doesn't say things like that. So there's two sides to the healthy development in relationship when it comes to grief and loss. It's dealing with my process of trial, hardship, suffering, and success. All those changes. Losses and gains. So the healthy part of me, me being a healthy person, says that I can deal with my process of trial, my hardship, my suffering, and my successes. And I can do the other side. I can deal with another's successes, their hardships, their suffering, their pain. So which side are you on today? Maybe both. And with whom and how are you doing in becoming more Christ-like? Are you becoming more Christ-like to those around you? Or are you using defense mechanisms and becoming codependent and not Christ-like? Are you letting the pain of the world cause you to be a deeper person, a stronger person, a more ethical person, a moral person, not a judgmental person, not someone that gets into everything that is right and wrong, but recognizes that this is a very complicated world. And I can truly tell you that for the most part, everybody's doing the best they can. Even though we look in their, into their lives and think they could do so much better, we look into our own life and think, I should be doing better than this. But I have found through the years of working with people and dealing with my own life, if I could do better, why wouldn't I? So if you could do better, I really believe in you. I know you would be doing better. And God knows that as well. That's why his grace is sufficient for us.
That's why we need to extend that to others. Sympathy, empathy, grace, mercy, they go a long way in people's lives. And if the people that receive it from you are corrupted by it, that's revealing to them. That's God dealing then with them. That doesn't have to be your problem because you don't have to control this. You can't. So we do our side of the street and we do it well. And so we see this idea that some of Job's friends, they really stopped being human beings and they became human doings. They started intellectualizing his life. They started comparing and contrasting his life. They had to find something to blame. They lectured him with all of what they thought was wisdom. And they used it against Job. And when Job told them to repent, when, I'm sorry, when he was told to repent, and think of how painful that would be when it was Satan that came against him. If your best friends are telling you, hey, there's something you, in your life you must need to repent for, if you repent, you'll just be okay. And their tendency to minimize what Job was going through. What Job is finally saying to them at the end of this chapter is, hey, can't you guys just give me a break? I'm dying over here. So in general, we do want to give advice to people. I understand that. We want to lecture. We want to problem solve. Because we want relief from their pain as well as any of the pain that we have. So you can be a human painkiller for a moment. You know what, you know what painkillers like Advil from humans are? Sympathy, compassion. They're not addicting. And they go a long way. Most of us just want someone to care about what we're going through. Not judge our process. Just realize that we probably are doing the best we can. And if we could do better, we would. So let's be the friend that Job really needed. Let's be the friend that he needed to the people in our life. Let's be that to ourselves. Let's be the one that's willing to enter into people's pain. Pray with them, care for them, cry with them, hug them, comfort them, even if it is their fault. It's their problem. They have to figure it out anyways. So when we give them a little comfort, we give them some energy and some courage to fix the problem. And if it isn't their fault, if they've been victimized, we give them the energy and the hope and the mercy and the grace to not stay a victim. See, the mystery, the travesty of suffering and pain is that it causes us to be more human or less human. It's an opportunity for us to be more noble, to be more valiant, to be the type of humans that God originally designed us to be. So don't steal the gift of pain from yourself or from another. So here's what I want you to do. When you're dealing with change, when you're dealing with suffering, first of all, really work on going with the flow. Accept the feelings. Go through the grief and loss process. Be willing to do that. Get the help that you need if you need to. Communicate what's happening. Get some support. Focus on whatever gains there are and address and strengthen your spiritual life the best that you can. Ask for help. God bless you. Tomorrow we're going to talk more about positive self-care, how we do that, ways to take care of ourselves, and the importance of caring for the one 
that God loves. Have a great day. Check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. Make sure you send the podcast to your friends. Thanks for being in the social media world with us and have a blessed day. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Conversations with Cynthia is heard daily at 3 p.m. and 12 noon every Sunday on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. Yeah.